Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in Clean Tech, a roundup of the week's biggest stories you need to know in climate and clean energy in 15 minutes or less. Today is Friday, August 25th, 2023. I'm Renewable Energy World Senior Content Director John Ingle, joined again by Clean Tech PR veteran Mike Casey of TigerCom. Hello, Mike. Hello, John. Is it me or is summer flown by fast? My son just went back to high school for his senior year and it feels like we haven't even broken out the sunscreen yet. It has gone by fast. My son is now saying E-I-E-I-O. So I think we're in uh, different <laughs> stages of the life spectrum, but um, fun nonetheless. <laughs> right on, right on. So remember, all of you listening, we want you to be part of this show. Please nominate the stories that caught your eye each week by emailing us at thisweekincleantech at tigercom.us. And we'll have a link in the episode description as well. All right, Mike, kick us off. Our number one story is an NPR piece by Julie Simon. It's titled Fixing Our Electric Grid on a Budget, which talks about the growth of technologies that maximize power volumes running on transmission lines and the challenges and solutions to adopting new tech. John, what do you think? Yeah, I think grid enhancing technologies, which are the the focus of this piece, are a really underappreciated aspect of the energy transition and a source of some really cool innovation in the last few years. Now, it shouldn't distract us from this greater mission of building new transmission to meet the demand of so many new renewable energy resources. But I think these technologies do present really important opportunities and near-term solutions to take on that grid congestion issue. You know, I think some utilities are embracing this tech, but there's a worry that others are disincentivized from embracing it. And the source of that incentive, disincentive scenario is the century-old um, push from regulators to utilities to build more infrastructure rather than making it run better through new technology. So traditionally, the more they built, the more they made. And in an effort to speed the adoption of new tech, FERC is now requiring utilities and grid operators to just evaluate the new tech. Now, admittedly, that's a low bar, but at least it's something. John, what's our second story? Yeah, this is from Carol Ryan with the Wall Street Journal. Europe's gas guzzling days are fading. It discusses Europe's gradual gas decline caused partly by the adoption of new technologies such as heat pumps and renewables. Mike, what did you think of this one? Well, my colleague, Melissa Baldwin, is our firm's biggest heat pump fan, so I'm going to hat tip to her interest here. But European heat pump sales rose 39% last year, and it often replaced gas boilers. As a solution that uses electricity, it's great for cutting the continent's carbon pollution with solar hitting a record of 47% in 2022. I think it's worth noting that last year's marked Europe's first time having renewable power sources produce more electricity than natural gas. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as a big deal. And I guess we have dictator Putin to thank for that. What do you think, John? 
Well, on that note, by many accounts, last winter was a lucky one for Europe. It was unseasonably warm. And even though they were dealing with these supply constraints over natural gas and, and the issues with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, they, they weathered the storm at least a, a bit and got through that hurdle. Now it appears that uh, almost all of their storage is set for the season and, and things are going in the right direction. So it's a great story about, you know, the urgency and momentum of the energy transition when your back is really up against the wall. But I still think Europe has a lot of challenges to grapple with, especially uh, around the long term role of, of nuclear and its energy mix. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Mike, what's our third one? Tom Singleton from BBC reported a story pioneering wind-powered cargo ships set sail about the first container ship using these really cool steel sails to cut oil use. John, I'm going to ask for your opinion, but I have to say I'm, I'm bracing for you to be a Debbie Downer because it's, it's a fairly minimal pollution footprint from this industry. But hey, um, over to you, my friend. The opposite. I think this one is really cool. You know, I, I, at the very least, it's great to see some heavy hitters like Cargill, like Mitsubishi trying new things. And when you look at these things, I mean, the image is so cool. So go to the episode description and click that link because these, they're basically wings. They're not sails. They're wings that are about 123 feet tall, made from the same material as wind, wind turbines. And the parties involved think that this could uh, cut the lifetime uh, carbon emissions of cargo ships by like 30%, nearly a third. So I'm really interested to see how these first voyages pan out. They're going to try to collect some data and and revisit the tech, but um, it's cool. I mean, why not? 2% of global emissions is still worth taking on. Yeah, you know, five or six years ago, people in this industry said it would be tough for them to decarbonize. And so I think we should consider this is an industry that uses really dirty fuel it does produce just 2% of the world's carbon pollution. So it's a small source, but it's a very concentrated source from an industry that's mature and not really known for its green tendencies. And I think the signal that this step takes is worth at least as much as the pollution reduction themselves because of the ripple effect throughout the rest of the global economy. John, what's our fourth story? I am not a Debbie Downer by the way. Okay. I, I just approached this with a reporter's eye. Um, fourth, fourth story is from Matthew Barakat with the Associated Press. Solar panels to surround Dulles Airport with, will deliver power to 37,000 homes. Um, it's a story from your neck of the woods, Mike, and about the largest renewable energy project to be built at a U.S. airport. What did you think about this one? I think I need to contain myself from going off on a tangent here, but here we go with another story about a solar project getting pushback in rural communities. So here's, I think the context is, is critical. This is an 834-acre project that uses 200,000 panels. So it's big. It's big by industry standards. But the idea that utility-scale solar projects are going to chew up a bunch of valuable farmland is ridiculous in the context of what really gobbles up farmland, which is suburban sprawl. Today, the day you're hearing this show, we're going to lose 2,000 acres to suburban sprawl, right? 2,000 acres of farmland is going to be gone and never come back. And tomorrow, we're going to do that again. So this farm is, is consuming half of suburban sprawl's daily toll on the total finite budget we have of arable farmland. And I think the U.S. solar development 
community has got to find a way to put their impact into context or it's going to continue losing ground with rural Americans. I'm going to take this opportunity to say that on Wednesday afternoon at RE Plus at 2.30, we're going to be up on stage releasing the findings of a first ever poll of rural Americans' views of renewable energy in their community. So if you work in development for renewables, I'm going to strongly encourage you to intend. Uh, John, what do you think? Well, I think that I made the mistake of suggesting a story that had a NIMBY element to it because I know that just like cranks you up and you could go off. I mean, the 15 minute parameters that we face here are, are at risk when I do that. But here's what stuck out to me, you know, being more of the trade media wonky reporter. This agreement is is unique. So what Dominion's doing instead of leasing the land from the airport authority is they're going to, in exchange, develop two one megawatt solar carports that will partially power the airport provide 18 electric transit buses, 50 electric fleet vehicles, and electric vehicle charging stations for airport operations. I think that's super creative. I've never heard of a structure like that. Um, and I would like to see this rolled out at, at other airports, in, in large part because this is an opportunity for millions of passengers that pass through every year to directly see clean energy right in front of them, not only out in rural America, but being put to work to help the airport function. So I, I, I love that story this week. Um, Mike, what's our last one? Our, no, our last one is a Bloomberg story in the Oxen Tariff by Jen DeLui. Chinese solar, paper, sorry, Chinese solar makers face new tariffs after the U.S. says they're dodging duties. And uh, John, what's your take on this? I mean, there's such an enormous overall story in the industry. Anyone who follows Renewable Energy World and our podcast Factor This knows that I've been uh, on top of this story from the very beginning, and it interests me so much because you have this intersection of a domestic manufacturing base that is trying so hard to compete against uh, a Chinese market that just doesn't reflect the reality of how hard solar manufacturing is. And that's why we started Factor This in the first place. Uh, you know, Our first episode was with the CEO of Oxen and was a bit controversial, but I think now, 17 months later, you get to this decision. Neither side seems that happy, which is interesting. Um, the, the solar trade groups are signaling that this is going to be another knife in the back for the solar industry. But the guys on the domestic side who were in support of the Oxen case are saying there are so many exemptions that you can take advantage of to get around this. Uh, manufacturers in Southeast Asia still have time because of the president's moratorium to reconfigure their supply chains and man manufacture elsewhere to comply. So I I'm hearing a little bit more that this may not have the impact that everyone thought it it might um, at, at the outset. So we'll, we'll have to see, but really interesting responses in the uh, the immediate. I think the faster we can balance solar supply chains back to cleaner economies, the better. I, I have to say that I wish there was a better way to do that than this 17-month saga. You know, I, I've written that this case, uh, making supply chain progress is akin to using a rusty knife and a bottle of whiskey to remove your tattoo. You're probably going to get a bad infection. But, you know, I think for a more informed view, we need to bring Where did Jen these Dooley things on come from? <laughs> I mean, do you just have a book of those? Now you're listen. You're just jealous. I can I can whip out a quip faster than you, my friend. But hey, let's, you got me around for some reason, right? All right. Well, let's, let's get let's, let's get Jen to to straighten this out. <laughs> that sounds good. Nice to join you. Hey. Although I don't have um, 
quips or metaphors quite like those in the in the arsenal. Just no so you no know. tattoos and rusty <laughs> knives. Okay, no. all right, that's okay. Jen Delui, what should be the big takeaway for people in clean tech on this development? In your view, well, uh, stepping back, I just think uh, you know the the big take is is that this just shows how difficult it is for particularly the Biden administration, but for the U.S. in general to to balance both climate and clean energy progress and uh, and building a domestic manufacturing sector. So we saw with the Inflation Reduction Act, the administration tried to have it all. They wanted to do both. And uh, this case, uh, these trade uh, concerns really underscore just how difficult it is to, to do that. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's EVs or solar, the president is trying to lower greenhouse gas emissions quick. And you do that by lowering the cost of the energy uh, technology, the solar panels, the uh, wind turbines, et cetera, that are used to make that power. Uh, and here, of course, uh, he's also trying to, to nurture domestic manufacturing sector. Uh, but cheap panels, particularly foreign panels, don't really help domestic manufacturers who are trying to build new factories right now in the U.S. Jen, I love that point that you make, because in my mind, I think that President Biden's uh, passion for domestic manufacturing may be equal or greater to his passion in fighting climate. Like he talks about it all of the time. And there's this natural intersection, which makes it so great for the agenda. But I'm really interested in this point that you made in your story uh, for Bloomberg, that there was this you know, briefing with a, a senior Biden official on background ahead of the announcement to sort of lay out how they were going to frame this. Um, how are they juggling all these competing narratives that that feed in and and what do they want the takeaway to be, whether or not the industry accepts it? You know, it does still depend on who you ask within the administration. Obviously, the Commerce Department is known as a uh, a protectionist agency. Uh, and and for uh, seventeen months, we heard about how this case was going to be proceeding under, you know, a quasi judicial uh, uh, status that it was designed to be free of political interference. Um, but of course, uh, you know, uh, at the at the final stage of this, we heard a lot about how President Biden takes tra trade enforcement and labor um, uh, support seriously. Uh, and that was not uh, a message that we were hearing in the very early days. So, you know, clearly the president was trying to have it all here. Uh, the two year reprieve on uh, the tariffs does provide some level of protection for domestic solar developers. And uh, we just didn't hear a lot about that in the in the final days. I think the real message is from the administration and from the White House is that they support uh, domestic manufacturing. They want to see that grow. I think there are real questions, though, about uh, what policies need to be uh, enacted over the next few years to make that happen, because IRA incentives are not going to be enough to do it. Jen, I'm really interested in any thoughts you have on the intersection between this trade case and the politics around the president trying to sell the country on Bidenomics. I, to me, this is it's so interesting because on one hand, it is a very firm statement for fair play and trade and reshoring manufacturing. But there are real excellent questions about whether or not the 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 global panel making industry is able to catch up to the trade regulation. So does it produce a slowdown or does it accelerate things? I'm really interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we need to see. And we'll see that in June 2024 when the, the duties come back into play. Uh, what's 
interesting to me uh, is, is we're talking now in the shadow of the first Republican debate where much of the discussion around climate was coming through the lens of uh, how subsidies and incentives built into the Inflation Reduction Act are only enriching China. Uh, so, so clearly, you know, there, there's a lot of political concern about uh, that and about reviving American manufacturing in the space and taking the lead on things like hydrogen and wind and solar manufacturing. Uh, the, the natural tension here is just really hard to get around. Uh, you know, U.S. supply is not simply is not going to be enough uh, by June 2024, certainly to to meet U.S. demand. At the same time, you know, we have analysts, uh, we've consulted analysts that, that say there is enough tariff free supply for the U.S. to tap into from other foreign you know, suppliers not in these four target countries or able to take advantage of the exemptions built into this case. Uh, to meet U.S. demand. So basically, there is enough tariff-free supply out there. The question is, you know, how much more is it going to cost? And uh, and how much does that actually slow the rollout at a time when uh, renewable development is on overdrive? Uh, you know, the, the administration feels, in many cases, administration feel, officials feel they've done what they can do here to blunt the impact. Uh, but I, I think, you know, June 2024 is still going to be a, a brutal awakening. John, we're about out of time. I want to give a shout out to our terrific producer, Brian Mendez, and to Alex Peterson, Claire Quirin, and Phoebe Lees for helping identify this week's top stories. Yeah, and of course, thanks to Jen for joining us on this episode of This Week in Clean Tech. Please make sure you subscribe and give us feedback and share those story suggestions. And you can also read all those articles we discussed this week, including Jen's, by clicking the link in the episode description. And make sure you tune into Monday's episode of The Fact of This Podcast. We're breaking down everything you need to know about virtual power plants and why Utah, yes, Utah, may just be at the cutting edge of the energy transition. How's that for a tease? You won't want to miss that one. Mike, thanks for doing this. See you next time. Thank you, my friend. Have a good weekend. Take care. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.